Uh, because we are in the Advent season, looking at the Gospels and looking at especially Paul's writings and trying to find, does Paul talk about the virgin birth? Does he actually mention that Jesus was born of a virgin? It comes that Paul talks about Jesus, but he doesn't talk about Jesus in the way that we see a virgin birth. But he does give credit to Mary for the birth of Jesus. So I was wondering about the difference, why Paul would not talk about Jesus in the form of how he was born. In the way that we are moving, moving up to Christmas, we are in the Advent season. We've heard before and we understand that we wait. We are also in an Advent, if you will. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for days when we are retired. We are waiting for days when we don't have to work so hard. We're waiting for days when our children come home. We're waiting for days when we, in expectation of something to happening, are waiting for heaven. So let's open our Bibles this morning to the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. I want to read the first eight verses. Jeremiah is a prophet and he's prophesying. And in the Bible, Jeremiah is the book after Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesies many things about how the earth is changing and what's going to happen. And he talks about the birth of a child. But Jeremiah prophesies in a little bit different way. He's talking about shepherds. We know that Jesus was considered to be a shepherd because he says in John that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. They don't follow the voice of anyone else but the voice of the shepherd. So in light of that, let's look at what it says here in 23 verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who shepherd my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them. You have not attended them. I will attend you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. I will gather the remnant of my flock from the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them. They will no longer be afraid or dismayed, or, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Then he goes on to talk about what the shepherd is going to do. The righteous branch of David is the heading before verse 5 in my Bible. The days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch of David. 
He will reign wisely as a king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named, Yahweh or God, our righteousness. The days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who, who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought the, and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the land of the north, from all other countries where I have banished them, they will dwell once more in their own land. Now, of course, Jeremiah is talking about uh, the people that were living in his day. But we can look into this as a prophecy to see how what God has said through Jeremiah, what is the land that they're going to? What is the land that they're looking forward to being in? Well, if they look back at the, what Moses and, and those folks went through during that period of time, wandering in the wilderness and falling away and coming back and falling away and coming back, God leads them to the land of Canaan. And what did he talk about when he was saying to them in the first time, the first time when they were going to that land? It would be a land of milk and honey. It would be a land where they would live and dwell in peace and in harmony. Their flocks would flourish. Their lives would be good. Metaphorically speaking, this has to be the picture of heaven. This is where the shepherds, God's speakers, if you will, should be pointing people to. And how do they get to that place? They get to that place by reading the Bible, number one, and number two, they listen to the word of God through what their speaker brothers say and say that we need to live in a way where we have our sins forgiven. We need to come to understand that God will accept us and he does love us regardless of who we are, but he puts us in a place where we hear about his redemption. We hear about his righteousness. Jeremiah is also talking about this. He's talking about this righteous branch of David. Who is the righteous branch of David? Jesus. The days are coming, Jeremiah says. He will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named. God, our righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah, our righteousness, directly translated out of the Hebrew. So what is this righteousness that we get? Is it righteousness that we carry? Is it righteousness that we have? Is it righteousness that we work hard to get so that others around us see how good we are and what all we've done? Does this mean that once we've understood what this righteousness is, that we shouldn't work to help others? No. It means that the righteousness that we get to for our salvation has already been accomplished from the beginning of the world. Because if we look at the way it 
Adam and Eve were treated in the garden after they ate of the fruit of the tree, God puts on them covering, a symbol of the forgiveness of sins. So Jeremiah in his talking, in the rest of this chapter, he's talking about false prophets and what false prophets are going to do. Let's look now at the book of Galatians. I want to go to the fourth chapter of Galatians, and this is what Paul is talking about. Fourth chapter of Galatians, let's look at verse 4. This is where Paul talks about Jesus, but he also is talking about the coming of Jesus. Because it starts out, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are our sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, or recognizing, we're in awe of, we're, in, we're honoring, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul also talks about this in a way that we become saints. So I was looking up some information, and this information that came was from a man who was a homicide detective that had like uh, done a cold case study of, is it really true? Does the Bible really say? How does the Bible talk about the coming of Jesus in the New Testament? Paul says that Jesus was born of a woman, not born of a virgin. Critics have argued this proof that Paul was unaware of the virgin conception, but this is not necessarily the case. Many scholars have observed that uh, expression, born of a woman under the law, implies that Jesus had no earthly father because Paul curiously chose to omit any mention of Joseph in this passage. It was part of the Hebrew culture and tradition that to cite the father alone when describing any genealogy. Yet Paul ignored Joseph and cited Mary alone as to indicate that Joseph was not Jesus's father. In addition to this passage, in the letter of Galatians, critics also cite openly Paul's letter in the Romans to make a case against Paul's knowledge of the virgin conception. However, we go on to look at, let's look at Romans. Let's go to Romans, Romans chapter one. This is the first book after the Acts of the Apostles. Paul, we'll start with verse one. Paul, a slave of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for the God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, according to his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. We have received grace and apostleship through him 
to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. On behalf of his name, including yourselves also who belong to Jesus Christ, by calling to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is recognizing that Jesus is flesh from David. So how does this come about? Well, the same man, when he talks about what happens in Romans, he says, critics claim that the Paul statement that Jesus was a descendant from David according to the flesh reveals that Paul believed Joseph, a descendant of David, was the physical father of Jesus. But careful examination of this letter leaves open the possibility that Paul may have simply been referring to the fact that Mary herself was also a descendant of David. Mary's relationship to David was important because Joseph was a descendant of Jenakiah, the king of Judah, described in Kings, 2 Kings 24.8. But Jenakiah was cursed by God. Interesting fact. So, in Jeremiah 22.30, it says, Thus says the Lord, write this down, this man, write this man down childless, a man who is not pr prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So this is why because Paul being a scholar of the Old Testament books, because this is his day and this is his not, where he learned, would know that Joseph wouldn't, could not be considered in the lineage of David in the birth of Jesus. However, it does speak to the forgiveness that God has for all man. Because Joseph had the opportunity to be part of the birth of his Savior, also would know what the forgiveness of sins would be about. So therefore, God does recognize Joseph. According to this passage, no descendant of Jenachiah could ever sit on the throne of David. If Jesus was a direct descendant of Joseph, he would have been excluded from, according to this curse. As Joseph was in the line of Jenachiah, but Paul consist consistently omits Joseph when describing the genealogy of Jesus. In addition, Paul later refers to Jesus as the Son of God in his passage to the letter of the Romans. Paul often used this expression to describe Jesus. Paul was consistent and clear about Jesus' divinity throughout his letters. If Paul believed that Jesus was born of a human mother and father, we would expect Paul to describe how normal man, born of normal parents, could be God himself. Paul never does that, and it is consistent with the fact that Paul is aware of the virgin conception. So Paul does know, because it was common knowledge in the time that Paul was traveling on the earth. So he would be writing in his letters about Jesus being born of a virgin and what Jesus' job was when he came to the earth. 
Let's go to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's start with verse 17. This was where Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, and he's directly uh, quoting Luke in verse uh, 24 and 25. Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you came together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one sits in his own and eats his own supper ahead of the others. No person is so hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's talking about his death, but he's also recognizing the fact that if Jesus was not born, we would not have this opportunity for the resurrection of the dead to be believing. Because if Jesus didn't do the work that he was sent on earth to do, we wouldn't have the opportunity, number one, to gather as believers, and number two, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Therefore, when he's talking about this, he said, in 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of our Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever drinks, eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment unto himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Well, he's talking about those people who do not believe, but come to the altar or come and, and partake of communion. So if you go to a place where they offer communion and you take partake of that communion, are you an unbeliever is the question. So if you had a, an opportunity even with your family, for example, and you decide to commune with them by sharing the bread and wine, you are doing this to celebrate the fact that Jesus came, he lived on the earth, he died, and he rose again from the dead. This is what you can do. But if you partake of it in a way that is you're not believing, 
You're, you're an unbeliever. Or, on the other hand, if you go someplace and, you just, and they were offering communion and you went to take it and they say, you haven't been in our, our church or you haven't been in our place before, we don't know who you are, we're not going to give you communion. I'm sure that if we went back to our former church that we were at and we went up for communion, they wouldn't serve us. According to what Paul says here, we can take it wherever we go. If we believe that our sins are forgiven in his name and in his blood, no one can withhold that commune, if you will, that gathering, that community of saints, the opportunity to celebrate his death and resurrection. When we believe this, we also have, have to come to the realization that Jesus was born. And Jesus was born in a way from a virgin. He was born in the way of salvation because God predestined this through the Old Testament. He did come from the line of David because Mary was from the line of David. He did come from the line of David through Joseph because Joseph was from the line of David, but Joseph wasn't his earthly father. Jesus was not conceived through Mary and Joseph's marriage. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of a virgin so that you and I, in this season of Advent that we're coming through or that we're in, can look to this saving grace that we have and we can find ourselves in the place of fellowship, in the community of saints, in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of our sins, the resurrection of this body, and what comes after that. Life everlasting. So with this season that we're in, this season of celebration that we're in, always when we hear these songs, joy to the world, O holy night, O little town of Bethlehem, they're all proclaiming the fact that you and I are in that community of saints. Those folks that do not yet have Jesus in their heart are waiting for something. Just as even the, the Orthodox Jewish people are still waiting. They're still waiting for their Messiah. What are they waiting for? They're waiting to have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven. And if they're rejecting it, it's on them. If they're taking it, it's forgiven. So we want to stay in this community. We want to stay in this place where we are in this community of saints. We want to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because without this birth, we have not what Paul is talking about here, to be able to come and celebrate his life through our communion. The Lord's Supper. So today as we come forward, to have this opportunity 
for the Lord's Supper, keep in mind what this is about. It's not just about something that we do once a month or it's, it's a tradition. It's a celebration of our Lord and Savior's birth. It's a celebration of our Lord and Savior's death. It's a celebration of the fact that you and I will be able to stand in front of God on the last day and say, when he says to us, come, ye blessed of my Father, into eternal fellowship, eternal communion, where there will be no more sorrow, where there won't be any more troubles, no more death. There won't be anything to make us sad anymore because we will all live in the joyous presence of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So be blessed in this Christmas. Be blessed in this fact. And keep your faith strong. Don't let anything from the world take you away. Be blessed today through the fact that your sins are forgiven. In the name and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Not because he was mandated to do it, but because he joyously did this because he was asked to. He was an obedient son to his father. Let's all be obedient and believe that today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.